Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor here on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us today, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, we're so honored that you are with us. I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, as I know that when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So my hope is that you would come back and try us out. You know, a lot of people have done that. They've kind of taken the three-week challenge, and uh, our hope is that you become, we call it spiritual family here. We don't want to be just another organization or even just another church in your life. We want to be spiritual family. Uh, If you are watching online, I want to invite you to do a few things. Number one, that helps us kind of get through some of the social media algorithms. Number one is uh, uh, comment, like, and share. Be as interactive as you can. Ask questions, talk about it. We'd love to pray with you. And also, if you can, leave a review. Now, if you're in here, uh, you're actually in person, which I highly encourage you. If you're online right now, you're missing out. We have a, a lot of people coming back to church. Come on, are y'all excited to be in the house of God and uh, just being back to church? And so we highly encourage you to come back. And if you are in here, do me a favor, take out your phone. And if you're on social media or something like that, go ahead and like and share. Let people know that you're here. Check in. Uh, or, man, send somebody a text right now and say, you got to make the next service uh, that's happening at 11 o'clock. It's going to be awesome. Today we start a brand new series called Economy. And we know that's not how you spell it. It's a little bit of a play on words. And the reason we wanted to talk about that is because if you've noticed, a lot of the buzzwords in our culture today is talking about the economy and what's happening to the economy, what COVID done to it and what's the best way to fix it and how to get uh, it back going. And honestly, a lot of us as Christians, we look to some external forces, external things. We look at really even the world's economy or how things work in the world or in our culture, and we allow that to dictate what's happening in our personal life or in our family's economy. And here's what's the great, one of the great things about God is that he teaches us in a lot of ways how a lot of the things that are happening out there, really, honestly, they don't have to really affect what's happening in here. And you and I can live based on principle and based on God's word, and it'll actually affect your personal economy, even though, and, and make you positive and make you in the in the positive uh, or in the black, or, you know, make you actually be a, actually have a good personal economy, even though the world might be going down the, down the tubes, right? So you can, you can have both. And so we wanted to talk about really what God has to say about that. He uses uh, an interesting phrase. Jesus uh, lived on this earth for about 33 years. and He had a three-year ministry, and he, he used this phrase, kingdom of heaven, a lot. And he taught kingdom of heaven principles. And, and we're going to look at some of those things and how to have a, a kingdom mindset when it comes to our own personal economy. And we're going to expand over that over the next couple of weeks. And so I really want to, I'm really excited uh, that, that we get to jump into this um, and, and really walk out some principles. I think it's going to be revolutionary for your family if you want it to. Come on, how many of y'all know you, you, you got you to want it more than I want it for you, right? And so my hope is that you would do that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25 today. Matthew chapter 25. And um, this is going to be a particular part where Jesus, um, before we even get into it, where Jesus actually uh, talks to, to his disciples. He's talking to his people. He's teaching. He's leading. And, and again, he's using this word kingdom of heaven. Now, when you and I hear that, you and I think instantly, well, heaven, right? You think like, okay, so he's saying, what's heaven going to be like one day, right? That's how we think about it sometimes. But the, the, the Bible writers, when they were, we were, they were highlighting what Jesus was saying, we're, we're highlighting Jesus was giving us God's perfect way of living. So anytime you see the kingdom of heaven or, or, or something along that lines of that phrase, Jesus is not referring to necessarily just what it's going to be like in heaven one day. What he's referring to is, hey, if you want to do 
my father's will and do it God's perfect way or do it the way it was designed, then you should do it and think about life like this. And he's in the middle of that. He's in the middle of writing and uh, really telling a, a, a parable or a story. And he talks about this is really the parable of the talents. And um, and, and we're going to pick it up right in the beginning of Jesus's teaching. We're, we're not going to read the whole story. I'm going to give you some summaries, parts of it. I want you to go back and read it yourself. But I'm going to pull out some principles on that when it comes to economy. All right. So that's kind of like the context Jesus is teaching. Everybody with me? Everybody say, okay. All right. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 says, for the kingdom of heaven is like, so that's what we're talking about again, is a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Okay. And then he jumps to verse 15 and to one, he gave five. This is an important principle of life. You need to know this, that all men are loved equally by God, but we're not all created equal. God has given us equal, equal love. You have equal value, but you and I are not all called to all do the same thing. And so that's what's bad about comparing your life to others is because you will always lose that game because you are not called to do what other people are called to do. And guess what? They're not called to do what you're called to do. And so you and I have to know that God has established a kingdom and he's established an army. Come on. How many of y'all are you military? Come on, my military people. Make some noise if you're military in here. Come on. Make some noise. Y'all military. We love you. You get this principle. You understand this probably the most because in the military, there ain't, everybody's not a general. And not everybody's a captain. Not everybody's a colonel. Come on, right? There are ranks. There are areas. There are levels that God has given. We are in an army of God, and God has given each and every one of us and designed us uniquely to be who we're called to be. Even we call it even a family of God or a body of Christ. And the worst, come on, the worst bodies of Christ are people who try to be other people. Hands trying to be feet. Legs trying to be eyes. Eyes trying to be hair. Come on, like, you know what's really good about my hand? My hand's a great hand. It's a terrible knee. And so God's trying to reiterate to us, like, you're called to be unique. So be unique. Be who God's called you to be. Well, I wish I was the five-talent guy. Don't wish you were any other talent other than what God gave you in your life. That's good. That's free. That ain't even in my notes. All right. So five talents, then another two, and another one. Again, each to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. So he goes on a journey. He comes back. Now he's going to reconcile what he, what he gave to those people. He went with an expectation. Come on. That he gave them something to do something with it. Now he's going to check it out. So in verse 20, he says, so he had received the one who had received five talents came and brought five talents more. So he doubled it. And he said, look, Lord, you've delivered me five talents. I've gained five more besides them. In verse 21, it says, and this, so this is his response. This is the Lord's response to him. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. But say faithful. Yeah, he said, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you over a ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Free side note yet again. I, see, I got a bunch of notes just to write. Just like before. I'm going to get to my message. It's going to be good. <laughs> if you're out here right now thinking, I wish God would just give me more. You're in for a great treat today. Because if that's what you always wanted and you're praying, God, give me more, uh, this whole message is designed for you. Okay? All right, so we, we pick it up in verse 24, where now he's moved through the five person, talent, talent person, and they brought five. He's moved through the two talent person, they brought two, they've doubled it. Now he's down to the one talent person, okay? So he moves to the one talent person. This is what he said. Then he came to the one who received one talent and he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Isn't it interesting how when you don't do what God asks you to do, all of a sudden you got a lot to say. You got a lot of excuses. Well, you don't understand where I was born and how it was done. You don't understand my parents. You don't understand my job. If you knew my wife, I'm telling you, if you saw what my husband does, I'm telling you, if you met my kids, they all got, we all got excuses, right? 
So he starts listening to him, and, and he says, so then I was afraid, and then I went and I hid your talent into the ground. Look, I have what is yours. He said, I didn't lose it. Here, you can have it back. So you would think that, okay, at least he didn't lose it. So you're like, all right, well, you know, it's all good. He's going to be okay with that. We hear what the master replies to him, and this is maybe something that should sit in our hearts forever. He said, but his Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy. Note the contrast where he says you, 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 you have been good. You're, come on, you're, you, you've been found faithful, good and faithful and wicked and lazy. Today, I want to talk to you. If you're taking notes, the title of my message today is, is how to be a good steward. How to be a good steward if you're taking notes. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I'm, I'm honored to be here and speaking on your behalf. Today, I pray that you would speak to us. You would give us a unique word for our lives and our hearts. Truth of the matter is, God, you, 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 are, you are here. Your Bible, your word says that where two or three are gathered, you are in their midst. You're here, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would just work. God, that you would just take the, the, the message that I've created and you give us a personal message in Jesus' name. Everybody set? Amen. Amen. Um, I, I grew up in church, and so, you know, I kind of have that typical maybe Christian church background. And when you're in church and you grow up in a Christian church background, if you don't know anything about you have to read Christian books, right? That's just kind of how it is. Like, you got to watch Christian movies, you got to listen to Christian music, and you got to read Christian books. That's how, how I live my life. You know, I didn't even really know what television was. We had a monitor. It was odd. Like, we had a monitor. That was holy. But the TV was not, and so we had a Christian, like we had a Christian computer monitor, and I watched crazy things like Carmen. Anybody watch Carmen? Anybody listen to Carmen growing up? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Carmen. Carmen was like the Christian, like Backstreet Boy. Like that's what he was. You know, he would. He, I'm telling you, you got to go back YouTube Carmen. Do yourself a favor right now, one day. Go YouTube Carmen. Satan bite the dust. You'll be happy you did. That's how I grew up. You want to know why I messed up? It's because I, I listened to Carmen my whole life. So. I grew up listening to things. One of the books, though, that, that my youth pastor told me to read one time when I was growing up was um, uh, a great Christian author. He was a theologian. I mean, he's a pastor. I mean, you got a lot of things. But uh, it was a book by C.S. Lewis. How many of y'all know kind of C.S. Lewis is? And he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters. If you ever want to be freaked out, read this book. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting book because um, it's, got, uh, it's written in a, in a unique literary style. It's written um, in kind of like a first person senior demon. No, no lie. This is what it is. Okay. Senior demon. And his name is Screwtape. And he's writing to his nephew Wormwood and writing letters is specifically 31 letters to him on how to really honestly torture humanity on how to lead humans to Satan and away from God. And C.S. Lewis uses this writing style. It's fascinating, but I'm telling you, you should go read it. It's fascinating because he kind of wants us to see, it's, a, it's kind of a literary narrative on, on teaching us the ways of the enemy and how he's going to come after you. Maybe, maybe how he's going to attack you and I on a regular basis. And there was a quote inside this book, and I still remember it to this day. And it's so applicable to what we're talking about today. And I want to read it for you. I'm going to put it up on the screen. We're going to read it together. And, uh, and he says this in the screw tape letters. This is the senior demon writing to his nephew, Wormwood, okay, on how to torture humans. He says, make them live in the future. Everybody say future. future. 
is important. He said, make them live in the future, advises Screwtape. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already. So you and I biologically are almost predisposed to looking past the now for the future. He says, so that the thought about the future inflames hope and fear. And he says, also, it is unknown to them. So they don't even know we're doing it to them. You, don't, you and I don't even recognize at times that, that there's demons at work, that there's enemy at work in your life, and there's a strategy that he's working. He says, you're, you're, we're unknown to them. So that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities, these these. these like dreams and nightmares and what could be how many of you this week online all around here come on how many of you this week thought about something that could happen and it stressed you out come on and then it never actually wind up happening anybody other than me right right so he's saying he's saying make them live in the come on in the future maybe to summarize this statement on how he 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 highlights the way that that satan works is simply this the summary statement would be go to the next slide there the more we get them to overlook their present the more they miss their future the more we get them to focus on what could be all the time and stare at the future and look past what they have they'll never get their future so just keep messing with them. Keep making them think about what they don't have. Keep making them think about their dreams. Keep making them dream. Keep making them think about the future and all the anxiety and fear and stress that comes with it. Keep doing that because they're naturally kind of driven like that. And when we keep pushing them, they're going to miss it anyway. Jesus was teaching on this when it comes to the parable of the talents, because what he was he was trying to get us to understand is that our we all have potential. We all have a future in Christ. We all have a, a future in what we could be. OK, we all have a potential, but not all of us reach it. And our potential is attached to the stewardship of the now. So you and I have to understand that if we don't focus on what God has given us, we'll never have what God wants us to have in the future. You'll miss it. Anxiety will take you off course. Fear will drive you crazy and you will miss your potential simply because you have not focused on this interesting season that, that, that Jesus was talking about. Inside the parable, he, he kind of talks about this. He says there's a there's a there's a season that starts with the master leaving. Right. I'll put it up here. It, it's the master's leaving. This is could be Jesus for us leaving. The mission, the great commission for us, he leaves, he does the ministry, he's on the earth for 33 years, he's right here, he leaves and he gives us a passion point and hey, go reach people for me. And then the Bible talks about him coming back, he's going to come back one day, he, he going to come back, y'all need to get that in your soul, Jesus is coming back, he, he coming back, God's coming back, you missed it, God's coming back, yeah he's coming back. So he wins. We his game's fixed. Sorry, Satan. He, he coming back. So if he's coming back, there's this weird season that we live in right now called the, the stewarding season. That's the season you or I in right now. This is where we live. OK, we weren't here where Jesus left. We, we man, the way the world looks right now, we might be here when Jesus comes back. 
But until he does, we live right here. And it's what we do right here. Come on. That really, really matters. That, that maybe another way to say it is that our, our personal economy in our life right now matters. In fact, that's one of the definitions of economy. If you look at it, if you go back, it's careful management of available resources. That, that there's, a, there's a stewarding season right now that we need to carefully manage or steward available resources. You have a personal economy in your life and that God has given you something. And it matters what you do with it. That's how we think about it when it comes to this church and you. Did you know that's one of our value statements, our, 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 our cultural statements here? We say this a lot. We say, listen, we say, I am an owner of nothing, steward of everything. We're all going to say that together because you're part of Rise Online. Everybody in here say, I am an owner of nothing, steward of everything. So that means this, that I don't own this church. This is God's church. I don't, you're not God. This is God's church. You're not my people. You're God's people. I don't own you. You're not my, I steward what God has given us. Come on. So that when he comes back and asks me, Hey, Aaron, I gave you some people. They weren't your people. They were my people. Did you, what did you do with them? And that's a fear I live with, like a fear of God, a holy fear that I live with every time I put my head on the pillow. Like, did I honor your people today, God? Why? Because I'm an owner of nothing and I'm a steward of everything. I want to one day know that God came back when he comes back or I see him. He says, he said, you know, Revelations chapter 22 talks about this. There's two judgments. People think like, well, all the judgment in the world is going to happen in one. That's not true. If you go back and read Revelation uh, or even look at Paul when he talks about in Corinthians to the letter to the, to the Corinthian church, he speaks of not just the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment for all people to know, hey, did you give your life to Jesus? Thank God. We don't, it's not, that's not on us, right? That was on Jesus. Did you give your life to him? Are you living for God? That's, that's the great white throne. But then there's this Bema seat judgment where Jesus and God, I think, looks at you. If you look at the Bible, he looks at us and he goes, what did you do? Is what is question Yes. What did you do while you were on this earth? Because your kingdom in heaven, literally, you should go read it, is determined by what you did with what God gave you. It's not whether or not you make it in. That's not that's not what we're talking about. But it's going to matter what you did on this earth. And if you went out of your way to be Jesus to people and steward your personal, come on, economy. It matters. Everybody say it matters. it matters. So if that's the truth, then I'm going to give you three quick ways today, three quick ways to be a good steward as we kind of wrap up our, our message. Three quick ways to be a good steward based on this uh, story. I hope you're taking notes. Number one, first one, if you're taking notes, is uh, be focused, not distracted. Look at this scripture. This is interesting. Okay. We're going to look at, at the steward, uh, the, the, the one talent steward. He says he had also received, he, he who also received one talent came forward and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scattered seed. I was reading that. I'm like, how did you know all that? <laughs> not one of those other guys said anything like that. You ever notice? How did you know what your master was doing? Why weren't you focused? Come on. Why were you focused on what other people were doing and you weren't focused on what God asked you to do? You were at the clearest point, distracted. Everybody say distracted. Yeah, yeah nudge your neighbor and say distracted. Yeah, you're probably looking at your phone right now. You were distracted. 
You weren't paying attention. You weren't focused. Come on. I'm fired up today. Like you, you were confused on where your eyes should be. A great definition for distraction. What is it? I'm going to show it to you. This is distraction. Great definition. It's taking your eyes off the right thing and focusing on the wrong thing. That there are companies paying billions, with a B, of dollars to get you and I distracted. One pastor said, if Satan can't kill you, he gonna distract you. That you'll get your eyes off of what you should look at. And I don't need to go down the list of what you should be looking at. And your vision. And well, guys, that's another message all entirely, right? But the truth is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you just had that happen on the way to church this morning. You took your eye off the right thing and you focused on the wrong thing. Have you ever been in a fight with your wife or your husband and you know you shouldn't let it bother you? It's not that big of a deal, but you got to say something. Just me. Honey, you do 99% of the life right. But let me point out the 1% you don't. Because I can't get my eye off of it. Right? Right? We're, dis- we're distracted. And honestly, we're distracted in two, I say primary ways. We're distracted with the urgent and current. We're distracted with the urgent moments and the current trends. Urgent moments are these. These are kind of funny. These are things that happen and that you had a vision. This is stuff that where you have a vision, you want to do it God's way, you're trying to do it the right way. You had a vision for your life, but then you weren't planned or prepared. And so the urgent has now taken over the important, right? I'll get like an example, like, um, how many of y'all like put uh, kids, y'all, y'all, I mean, some of y'all do this now and some of y'all don't, and it's probably just crazy, but do you remember when life was normal and you had to take your kids to school in the morning? And so you had to take your kids to school and you had a vision the night before. God's going to do something this morning. Tomorrow, my kids are going to wake up. They're going to say, yes, Father. I am here. Thank you for just loving me and being a great papa. Right? Come on. Y'all with me, right? I have already eaten my breakfast. My teeth are brushed. I combed my hair. You didn't even have to ask me, Daddy. My homework is done. It's in my backpack. In fact, my bag is in the car right now. I started the car. I went to Starbucks, got you a latte. We're ready. I'm ready. I'm going to go sit quietly in my seat with my seatbelt on, away from my brother where I cannot touch him. So that was my vision, right? Right? But then you wake up the next morning late. You were supposed to be up at 6. You woke up at 7.15. Your kids are supposed to be at school at 7.10. That's happened to you guys, right? Okay. Oh, all right. And, and so you're, you're, you're con- now, now, right? Now, your vision can't come to pass because you weren't planned or prepared. 
And so now you don't have, you can't steward well what God's given you because your kids are something God's given you. They ain't even yours. Isn't that nice? I thank the Lord every day. I'm like, come on, Jesus, move it on, on. Get them going. I'm ready to give them back sometimes. And so you're, you're, they ain't yours. You're trying to steward them well, but you can't because you weren't planned or prepared. You woke up late. You weren't disciplined. And now you can't do vision. You, have to, you can't do important. You've got to do urgent. Second way we do this is with current trends. This is maybe the most toxic way we live sometimes, right? We, we are addicted to this phone, and so we, we're addicted to the notifications, and we're addicted to the social media, and we're addicted to the text messages and to the emails, and you need to know that it was designed to make you a slave. It was designed, just so you know, it was designed. It was designed that way. It was designed that way. And so because we look at everybody else, what's the current trend What's everybody else doing? What kind of house do they got? What kind of cars do they got? What kind of job does he have? What are their kids doing? What is she wearing? What party did she go to that I didn't get invited to? What, 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 what's, what is everybody else doing? And you forgot what God asked you to do because you're focused on what somebody else is doing. It's a distraction. And you can't, stu- come on, you can't steward what God has given you if you're distracted. The one talent guy had that going. The principle here is true stewardship is staying focused on what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Number two is this. Number two is this. Is be faith-filled and not fear-filled. This is a, this is a fascinating scripture. Because he starts off, verse 25, so I was, what's that word? Afraid. Everybody say Afraid. Yeah, it says, so I was afraid. I have noticed, I read, I'm like a big reader, and so I read a lot, leadership books, biographies, autobiographies. I try to figure out, like, I just want to, like, know great leaders and what they do. I have never read a book where somebody did something great in this world, and they started off their life with, so I was afraid. Like, I built this, because I was afraid. I did this because I was afraid. I did something for God because I was afraid. No one who does anything that matters in this world starts off with I was afraid. You gotta move, you gotta move through that and get to your to get to a different piece of your life, to, to your faith part of your life. Fear is rampant in this world. Newsweek said it like this. It said, I, I thought this was uh, kind of fascinating, this quote from Newsweek. Ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. Like, that should rock you. That there are so many weird, abnormal fears and phobias that we have to struggle with and write through. And it, I could list them all, but the truth of the matter is, even if I did, the bottom line and the point is simply this. Fear is a limiter, not a maximizer. That if you live in fear, you're going to constantly be limiting yourself and not maximizing your potential. You cannot reach your potential until you move through your fear. It's not moving past your fear. You don't ignore your fear. Great people don't have great people, great leaders and great people who do great things for God or in this world. They're not people who don't have fear. They have to move through it. To get to the other part of their life that's faith-filled. So you're not going to live your life where you don't get afraid. You're going to have fear. It's what you do with it. If you can move through it, you'll get to it, if, that, if I could say it like that. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Pastor, you've been preaching how long? I said, I don't know, 20 years or something like that. They said, you must never get afraid. I said, that's not true. 
when I'm standing on that right there, right in front of that chair, right before the lights turn on and that little transition video comes up, I can't tell you the fear that runs through my body. I'm not going to walk up. I'm going to stand up here. People are going to look at me. I'm like, okay, so how's my hair? Where's my jacket, shirt, pant, pants? I got my, okay, what's going on? Are they going to laugh at my joke? Is that funny? I don't know. Is it good enough? Did I say enough Bible? Did I do enough Bible? Do I, I'm all right, all right there in a the matter of five, 15 seconds. And I got what they call them, the butterflies, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? The butterflies. Y'all get the butterflies still? Somebody asked me, they said, you, you, you must never get afraid. I said, I pray that I never lose the butterflies. I don't operate in butterflies, but I pray that God keeps me reverent for this moment. That I never walk up here going, oh, yeah, this ain't no thing. I walk up here with reverence in my heart, and I, gotta, gotta have some fear. I want that. There's a healthy level of that fear, that, but I don't live and operate in it. I push through it to get up and to get some faith. I had faith that I came up here that I have something good to say to y'all that maybe, maybe God will speak. Speak in spite of my silliness. So I walk up with reverence, but I stand in faith. I stand in faith. True stewardship is walking in faith. And our potential only come to pass when we step through our fear, through our fear into faith. Third one is this as I'm wrapping up. Be logical. Be logical and not emotional. This is an interesting moment. Okay, so this is a moment where we get to the kind of the end of this moment where he goes. And he says this. He does this thing. He goes, I'm done. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. And you're like, what? I mean, you ever read the Bible and you kind of go, what? Right? That makes no logical sense. And I've realized this. The more I talk to good stewards and people who do great things in this world and do well with what God has given them, they do basic logical decisions, come on, over a long period of time, and they produce great results. They're, they're very uh, aware of their emotions. They don't stuff their emotions. They're self-aware of their emotions, but they don't allow their emotions to regulate their decisions. That sounds like an emotional decision, doesn't it? So I was afraid, and I went and I did something crazy. I just put it in the ground. That, that thing don't, it can't grow anything. It doesn't do anything in the ground. You killed it. You, put, you know what you put in the ground? You buried it. You put it in the ground. You... you you did not do the next. Great stewards do the next right thing. The basic next, the basic next right thing. They don't do the emotional thing. They regulate their emotions. They allow their emotions to come in, give them indications of how they feel, how things are going. You don't want to be emotionless. You don't want to be a tin man, right? You want to be able to see and feel and understand the hearts of people around. But they don't do it. They don't make actions based on their emotions. They walk out in principle, come on, out in, in vision, and, they, and they, 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 learn, they learn how to do the next right thing. I, I used to weigh 325 pounds or something like that. You know, some of y'all know that story. I've shared it a, a couple of times. And somebody asked me, they said, you know, what, what, like, what was the magic thing that you did? I said, I stopped eating bad and I started working out. And they're like, well, yeah, but like, what was the thing? Like, what, what's the thing? Like, what did you, what's the one thing? I said, it's not one thing. It's one small thing over a long period of time that produced great results. It took me two and a half years to lose 130 pounds. And so 
people in the magic pill generation are looking for the quick fix and the microwave moment and the instant like and the social media. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Like we're trying to look for something to fix something right away. And honestly, great stewards know how to over a long period of time make good, good decisions and, and do, I, I was telling somebody, like, I, I have, like, a really unhealthy, overweight person inside of me that I never let eat. <laughs> not today. <laughs> you're, you're like, you get one of those shirts that say, not today, Satan. You know, like, not, Satan talks to me through food. So I'm going to talk to you other ways, but he talks to me through, as I'm driving by Jack in the Box, he goes, Aaron, just one. I'm like, I know, just one. So sometimes I circle the jack-in-the-box and I just drive right out, right? Just sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So I'm not trying to get in it, but it's the next right thing. It ain't a big, it's not a mouse. You, 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 what do they say? What's that funny statement? You eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. And some of you all have some like big old honking elephants in your life, right? <laughs> Right. And you look at that and you think, God, how am I going to do this? I need a miracle. And I think the miracle could be just your mindset of going one next right thing. The principle here is true stewardship is doing the come on, doing the next right thing. I'm done. I'm closing. I'm closing. I'm going to ask you three questions and I'm done. Okay, three questions. and I'm done. Where can you be more focused with your resources? I want you to think about that. Where can you be more focused with what God has given you? Everything in your hand, God has given you. Everything in your, my hand, God has given me. Where can I be more focused? More focused, less distracted. With my kids, my family, my life, my time. Come on. What, what are you afraid of right now that is limiting your potential and you need to get rid of? Come on. You need to walk through. You need to push through. What's limiting you right now? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of that's limiting your potential? And finally, what basics can you start or stop, come on, to get you on the right path? There are some great Maybe simple, basic steps. What are some? Write them down. Put them in your Bible. Put them, put them on your, your, your mirror or your, your nightstand. Or maybe take a screenshot of them as your wallpaper on your phone. You, you and I can do this. You can do this. And when we do that, we can be great stewards of the things that God has given us. And you know what? Then The economy in the world could be tanking, but not in your life. Because God's in control of it all.